Hello and welcome back to another episode of Season 3 of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas, the podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insights into their views and opinions on the sector, their career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. For Episode 3 of Season 3, I bring you Graham Howard, who has recently left his role as CIO at Cavea in the UK. Graham is currently working on some short-term engagements as a non-exec since leaving his role after a few years at Cavea in the UK. This is easily one of the most fascinating conversations I've ever had on Behind the Desk. Graham's background and career history prior to entering the insurance sector is a story in itself, from working on a nuclear submarine in the early days of his career as an engineer, to leading the team implementing communication technology at the Olympics. Uh, it's safe to say that Graham isn't your typical insurance CIO with a typical background. That said, Graham's background has taught him some invaluable lessons around resilience, leading high-performing teams, and simply what is actually possible in a sector like insurance when you look outside of the industry for some inspiration. Graham not only has some brilliant stories, but his insights, opinions and advice are invaluable and I personally learned a lot from just listening to him. So I hope you guys do too. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Graham Howard. Graham, welcome to the Behind the Desk podcast. How are you doing? Very well, thanks, Mark. So I always pre-recorded intros, as everybody will know, but uh, as I always say, I can never really do it justice. So it'd be great for you to introduce yourself to uh, to the guests, tell everyone who you are and what you do and, uh, and a bit about your background, if that's okay. Of course, yeah. So <laughs> hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Graham Howard. Um, at the moment, I'm currently a non-exec director for a company called eSynergy, doing consulting um, across different technology areas, particularly for platforms, data, um, I guess modern ways of working, DevOps, things like that. Um, I'm also at the moment helping them as a, an advisor setting up an insurance practice. So really looking at trying to serve the insurance practice in a bit of a different way, looking at how we can try and in, enhance their capabilities. There's obviously some great technology and insurance but there's also some um, interesting technology that probably could do with some um, help and advice and guidance to help move it forward so that's sort of doing it at the moment earlier in the year I just finished um, just over four years at Cavair Insurance where I was the Chief Technology and Information Officer so we were doing some amazing stuff there I think really trying to you know to, to change the face of insurance to look at different ways of operating bringing in different thoughts and ideas you know we've got a lot of a big new policy admin platform from a, a microservices based solution so you know, I guess using technology in a, in a different way uh, technology that's proven in other industries and, and bringing it into insurance yeah that was a really interesting journey um, really enjoyed enjoyed that before that I'd, I'd done numerous other other roles as a CIO for international um, a relocation company driving that big sales floors deployment again different operating models different modern ways of, of defining solutions and applications and then before that I spent a lot of time in, in telecommunications I uh, worked for Motorola solutions for a long time for various different roles from sort of network engineer to software engineering managers to architectures to, to running global services teams and working in managed and support services doing, doing big transformations big global transformations to huge teams 
really because it was all based on um, mission critical networks so looking after people so it was really good a real sense of purpose you know if you didn't if you didn't if the system didn't work then people died and it was it was a very interesting opportunity to um, really make sure that you were you, you were working in a different way than maybe you would in just a normal technology role so really giving me a good rounding so so let's go right back to the start and we're de- I definitely want to dig into some more of that um, in a bit but um, go right back to the start like I, I all, I'm always really interested in how people actually found the the love for technology and, and where they kind of kicked it around right at the uh, at the start so um were you were you into to tech as a as, as a kid and did you do it at school university like what was the what was the first kind of gateway for you into into being a, a technology person um, I guess I've always really been interested in, in how things work um, and was quite often, even as a small child, taking things apart to, to greater and lesser uh, um, success. I think there's a fair few radios that I might never have got back to working again, but did manage to fix quite a few things. And really, it was always something that, that interested me. Um, I remember my, my father bought me a remote control car, uh, a Tamiya remote control car that wasn't built. So we sat for like three days constructing the car and, and, and all the engineering parts the bearings all the um control systems i would absolutely love that and it was it was far too fast for me to actually use it it took, it took a long time to learn how to control it um but the building process was was something i really enjoyed um i guess it was also then you know lucky that i had a um I had an Amiga computer, which obviously dates me quite badly. Um, but um, and on that, we yeah, you know, I used to program in BBC Basic, so I had like an emulator, so a lot of Lego and making Lego cars drive around and different motors and sort of controlling that. I was just amazed with you know, what technology could do. It was it was just always so exciting for me, um, and how that you know, that, that, that that computer aided you know, was it was it was more the terminology then was was really starting to inject itself into modern life. So yeah, it's always had an interest. Um, I think my, my my dad said to me that I should I should do engineering. Engineering was the important thing to do. No one ever, you know, engineers never went out of business. They always needed to build stuff. Um, and I was pushing to say I quite like computers. It's like, well, computers might be a flash in the pan. You never know what, what's going to happen. So do a do an engineering degree. Um, and as as he was helping to pay for my degree, and I kind of thought maybe I should do what I was told for for, for once. So I did. I started off um, did a degree in communication, um, electrical communication engineering. And uh, as as I went through that, I started doing more computers, <laughs> computer systems and networks. Sort of specialised in that as I left. So I did. I did a bit of both, which was interesting, and I think I've really, really, kind of really enjoyed everything. Really understanding the the complexity behind it, but also then taking it forward. Um, I was then lucky to get uh, a, an apprenticeship, well, a, a graduate scheme after I left with uh, British Aerospace, and I was right as a software engineer. So I was lucky to move around to different parts of the organisation and um, lots of different courses and things was on. But yeah, software engineering was what I was doing, and trying to write software to increase the speed of, ca- of um, transmissions over cables, lead-lined cables, because they were on a nuclear submarine. So I think I was a little bit challenged with with working on a nuclear submarine straight out of university with lots of ideals of what life should be. <laughs> but it was definitely, it was a job and it was interesting. Um, and, and it taught me a lot. I was lucky to go up to, to Faz Lane, up to where the nuclear um, subs are all um, in dry docks as we were changing it out and, and learned some really valuable life lessons, I think, uh, is how I'd describe it. 
when I was trying to get from one end of the cable to the other and the, 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 the guys were, no, you're going to have to crawl through that tunnel and I'm quite claustrophobic, so <laughs> submarines weren't, weren't necessarily the best anyway. Did you time on the submarine then when you were doing this? Yeah, because we they were basically, it was an old, they were in, in dry docks and they were being um, updated. So all the, all the SCADA and the surveillance systems were being changed out. So the cables had to remain because they're an integral part of the submarine. But there, we were writing software to increase the data throughput as we put more sensors, more arrays, more information across there. Yeah, so I crawled through the nuclear reactor, which is glass. So to get to the other end, and then as I opened up the door at the end, they were all just waiting at the other end, laughing at me. <laughs> I was sweating. It was an interesting, um, interesting moment in my life, one that I will hopefully will never have to um, do again. But uh, yeah, it, it was <laughs> much amusement. I did that, and then I think you know, I, yeah, it was interesting. Probably wasn't as quick a pace as as I wanted to work out, and then I, I was lucky to get a job uh, working for for Motorola, as I sort of said, which then you know took a lot of that knowledge we were working on public radio systems so it was all kind of been previously circuit switched and it moved to digital so i haven't done a lot of digital um and technologies at university it was kind of on, on the right foot to move forward and you know learn a lot around you know, building teams and deploying you know mission critical networks everything was five nines availability so you had to build things that worked you know you have a couple of hours a year even for planned downtime and it's yeah talk to a lot of people now in in regulated industries and they're they, they're, they're happy with downtime of days <laughs> we're not happy but they're accepting downtime like you can do anything even if you know the server could never be off that's a that's that's a different operating model i think and it's given me and it's given me a lot of knowledge to bring, I think, into regulated markets because although it wasn't regulated in the same way, it's, 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 it's a different operating model when you've got systems that have to run always. It's, it's, a, it's a different way of looking at it. Did, did you find, uh, so, so that, uh, so it's interesting because I, I speak to a lot of people in, in CIO, CTO type roles, there's obviously different routes into it. You've come through that more traditional, uh, maybe, maybe not traditional with the, uh, the, the, the nuclear submarine, but the, the, the engi- engineering part, certainly. When you went to Motorola, was that still an engineering role there? Did you go there as a, as a software engineer? And, and, and when did you transition from the, the kind of spending all your time actually writing code and in the detailed technology in, into that kind of leadership piece? Because I, I think that's really a, a really interesting transition for a lot of people and, and, and a transition that a lot of people obviously never take. They, they, they always stay doing the hands-on part. So it'd be interesting to kind of understand how that happened, why it happened, and, and, and when you realised that that was what you wanted to do. Yeah, so I, when I went to Motorola, it was as a, as, more of a, as a network engineer, my first role, um, because I think I, I could write software. I was never amazing at writing software. I think that's that's definitely would be fair. Would be fair. So I understood it. I was much better at managing people and leading people. So within the first couple of years, we started managing. So we were, we were out in the field deploying these big systems across the UK initially, and so they're helping to manage the teams that were out there, provide that guidance, and then suddenly uh, it's a couple of steps, and you're not really doing that much technical work you understand the technicality but you're that then interface with the customer so we were we were deploying things with the, to police to police um commissioners and such like and so i ended up being the one that had to go and speak to <laughs> to the customer talk about why we were doing something tell them why it had gone wrong tell them why we had to come back tomorrow or all those sort of things and it started to just you know, it, iterate through that and then leading teams. Um, so i did quite a lot of work um sort of consulting with government agencies so we had big systems that we'd put out for a government for the police or maybe fire ambulance services and then you know, how did they set those systems up 
Um, I was lucky enough to go to Athens for the Olympics in, in 2004. So it was like the on-site engineering manager there. So we had a, um, a, a motor network that had been built by the Israeli team. We had uh, Siemens as the integrator from Germany. We had Nokia as the, you know, the, the Finnish um, handset providers. Then we had the Greek government. So I was trying to get them all to work together. None of them would speak English. So we had interpreters and all sorts, although everybody could speak English, no one would speak English. <laughs> it aged me significantly, I think, but it was a, it was a fantastic experience. And yeah, we managed to get the systems all up and running and the, it was it was pretty much a seamless display for the, for the, across the Olympics. So I got to go to and um, see lots of different events I wouldn't have ever seen before, but to spend sort of three or four months in, in Athens was in the summer was was particularly pleasant, I think is fair to say, although very stressful to try and bring it together. But it, it just was that interpreter. I think that's what we was as a CIO, CTO, you kind of need to be, you need to be able to interpret multiple different inputs, understand it from the technical side, the non-technical and, and, and drive it together. So that was quite lucky. And then I just started taking on larger team sizes and we started driving, you know, software development in um, in Krakow in Poland. And we had a team there and they said to me, oh, yeah, we, we want to do some, some agile development. I was like, excellent. And they were like, can you be the scrum master? I remember stupidly saying, I've never played rugby, um, which caused a huge amount of um, hilarity for them. But it was probably, what, 2008, I think 2009. So early days. I'm going to give myself a little bit of credit. It wasn't, it wasn't such a common uh, knowledge at the time. But, but yeah, we did something different and we were, yeah, I guess, pushing the envelope. I was lucky to do lots of innovation. We won quite a lot of awards for for innovating and, and on the, the the radio networks. It was very similar to sort of phone networks, but driving out different things, different optimization tools and, and doing a lot of remote work, um, using the software to really make a difference to, to how the systems operated. So yeah, that was all interesting. And then a lot of global work. So I used to then fly a lot around the world. We had systems all around the world. So working with different teams um, and being that sort of, yeah, that, that, yeah, again, the interpreter of the business requirements, trying to understand different people's different systems and how they were set up and what we could drive further out from it. So yeah, it was it was definitely an interesting, interesting time, but I learned a lot, I think, about change and how, how people want to operate. And I was rolling out a, a workforce management solution. So all the field engineers had a van, they had equipment, they had tools and knowledge. And we had a, we implemented a field workforce management application that told them where they should drive, who should go for the role. And it was really obvious. It was a great idea. It saved loads of money. And they just went, no, <laughs> you can't just say no. This is a brilliant solution. I've pitched this to the board. This is this is the best idea in the world. And it was like, okay, yeah, the technology is the really easy part, isn't it? The process is even quite easy, actually. It's the people you need to start with. So, yeah, I learned a lot, I think, in, um, in, in, a, in a short space of time about it doesn't matter what great solution you've got. If you don't win hearts and minds, your transformation is never going to go anywhere. So... Yeah, it evolved on, and then I think when I, you know, I just took, just taking bigger and bigger roles on with bigger and larger teams, and a lot of remote software development, you know, teams all, all over the world, and then just got to the point where I was just flying every, you know, pretty much every week, it was continually jet lagged, and you know, just quality of life is low. I think it gets to the point where you think, yeah, actually, I'd like to see my daughter. She's only two. Um, I don't, <laughs> I don't really want to to be a, an away dad. Um, so I was trying to pull back and, and, and reflect a little bit about where life is and then move into that. So so was uh, I, I think you uh, you mentioned at the start there were uh, after the, 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 the 
decent stint at Motorola doing various roles, moving into more senior positions. Um, you, you spent some time at a relocation company. Was, was that the, was that, because I, I know you held some senior positions at Motorola, but was that the first, is that where you did your first CIO role or, or was that in, into insurance? No, that was, a, that was my first CIO role, yeah, after I'd left uh, Motorola. So that was, you know, they, they basically, they, they, the, the the CEO had decided that Salesforce was the answer um, to all the problems and we, they wanted to roll out everything to Salesforce. They had basically three three different regions, all with a regional CEO, and it was a group function. That group, they decided to roll out Salesforce, but the regions, again, just had no, in, no wish to change their operating model and they had no wish to spend all this money on Salesforce. Right. So... It was a yeah a really interesting one because they were in it was about, it was about three three and a half thousand people in ninety six offices but in forty eight countries oh, wow. so it was huge um, and they all had different license agreements different support arrangements so it was lovely to sort of have them come from a massive corporate with yeah, everything was you know you knew you knew what you needed to do there was little room to innovate with different you know, to, to get in there and someone say well. Well, how do you want to do it? <laughs> set up the operating model, you know. Set up contracts. You know, moved everything around. It was, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a fascinating sort of first role to go out and have that much freedom. So we set up like a whole um, operations centre in Manila. You know, I looked at I couldn't afford the Salesforce developers in London, so I found the, the cheapest place to get Salesforce developers, and we set up a, an operations centre there to do all our remote twenty four seven support from from a central location got our cost centers amalgamated and, and created a, a proper function and, and deployed Salesforce, got it back on track, got it working, made loads of interesting, I guess, consumer apps, customer facing opportunities as well, where we could have a direct impact to what we were doing. So yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a great a great opportunity to come and leave a, a real mark. And when I was, after a couple of years, we sort of left there, I felt that you really, you really made something, you really made a difference, you'd made a, a, an IT function that had been just a fragmented group of people into something that was it was tangible and, and reusable and had a strategy. So it was a, yeah, it was a really good sort of first gig, but I was really then looking to get into insurance, I think, which is <laughs> people call me a bit crazy because I, I actively was trying to get a job in well, insurance. No, no, you mean you, you, want... beat me, you beat, kind of beat me too. That was going to be my next question. Really. You mean we, we've, you've gone from... Uh... Fixing fixing radios and remote control cars to nuclear submarines <laughs> to traveling all over the world and in, in, and and working at the Olympics. Well, you mean you? I guess you could say that the relocation business is is kind of slightly off piste from 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 that uh, that world, but but yeah. uh, insurance <laughs> definitely is. I I, I did, you mean I, I know we we've obviously known each other before, but um, I didn't know you actively tried to get into insurance. So that that you mean. Yeah. My question was going to be, what made you think of insurance? When, when, and I was assuming they were going to have approached you. But uh, let, let's go backwards. What, what made you want to get into insurance? So I, just as, as looking at it, I think you know, open banking was was really sort of kicking on, sort of in um, yeah, I guess like late fifteen, sixteen into seventeen. Yeah, you could just see the impact it was having with fintechs and and the change. And you just, I just looked at insurance and just thought. It, this is just such rich pickings that there's there's so much that that can be done, and I just find insurance is fascinating because it's been at the front edge of technology for since its inception. Really, when it was first, you know, when it first started as a service, it was so clever, so cutting edge, and over years there's been fantastic technology that's been within insurance, but but it's still a laggard in so many different ways, and I think they you know through M and A strategies and 
just the orga- organic and inorganic growth of, of businesses. The the technology landscape is messy. There's been some huge the deployments of solutions that hasn't worked. You know, people have tried to make insurance. Not that people haven't tried, but as a general rule, I think there's there's, there's not that many companies that have really got it nailed down with a really you know, dynamic solution. So I just felt that it was a great opportunity to to make a mark, to feel like you can really you know, get involved and, and feel that you've made made a difference to, to how a system operates and how a, how a whole industry can operate. Um, so that was kind of, that, that was the. That was my kind of my my thoughts and views that haven't actually worked in. That was a catalyst of the thinking, yeah. Yeah, and when Gavair called, it was like, okay, yeah, that's a that's perfect because they wanted to do something disruptive. That was the whole piece. They were happy. They yeah, you know, they were happy that I hadn't got insurance knowledge or previous insurance knowledge. They wanted right. someone to think differently, and and I and that was that's what I wanted to do. So it was a it was a really great great fit for us both. So when when you had that uh, that that kind of realization that, that insurance might be something you wanted to look at, did did you kind of go tunnel vision down in purely into insurance? Because I guess it's not that not that easy to find a a CIO role in insurance, if especially if you haven't been in insurance. So did you did you kind of do some analysis of of, of a few different sectors and 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 target them? Like how did you go about that? Because I think that's that's really interesting. I a lot of people in CIO roles kind of fall naturally into their next one because it's with a competitor or, or something similar like that it sounds like you you kind of took stock knew that you wanted to to, to move on at some point and and actively you mean I, I i guess there aren't too many other big relocation businesses so you probably weren't going to stay in that sector so you did you how, how did you go about that i'd be interested to know your mindset how you approached it yeah, well, I think it's because you know, so much of relocation is around insurance, right? So that's part. That's partly why I got some sort of knowledge around it. So you know, you're, you know, you're shipping containers around the world. You, you, we were we were running apps that you so you could track your container. You could see if it was in rough seas and different things, what temperature, humidity, things like that. Um, so we were starting to generate data out, kind of like IoT data around it, and providing it to some insurance companies that were doing um, international stuff. So I started to sort of pique my interest. That I thought, oh, actually, this <laughs> wow, yeah, with cars, with pets, with all sorts. There's loads of information you could try and in, you know, instigate within to that. So I started looking, and then obviously started to see the insure tech landscape, which was you know was, was bubbling up. There's a lot going on. So I tried to get more involved with what was happening in those areas, get understanding of what people were doing, what were they not doing, who was you know, who were the main players in those markets, so what were the kind of existing platforms people were using, what other what were people thinking about other sorts of platforms that they could use. Just try to get more sort of knowledge around that, try and reach out to some people who were in the industry to try and learn more. But I was looking at um financial services as, as a general as well. Insurance I thought was probably the right bit, but I'd started to look at financial services because I think it's you're right, it's very difficult. And there's you, you, you kind of your stars have got to align to a certain degree. I think to get your first gig at that level in insurance without any knowledge, you've, you've, it's, it's got to be, you know, it's got to, the company's got to be up for you know, taking a, you know, a a risk, I suppose, to some degree by not not doing what everybody else is doing, which is, is the only way to elicit real change, I think. But but equally, you've got to find someone with the same mindset. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And um, uh, so, so were, were Cavea the first uh, insurance business that you spoke to? Did you did you speak to any others and uh, and, and talk, talk to us about how that came about and what the I guess the kind of remit it was there? And then we can we can go in and talk about what actually you ended up doing there. Yeah, so it was it was the first company that um, 
they haven't fared it greatly, to be honest. It was it just one of the, I think it's just one of those things. So they uh, they were in contact with yeah, through the agency, and they said they wanted they wanted to to do something different. Um, they were you know a mid-size insurer, and obviously owned by a you know a very large uh, mutual in France. But Cabea UK is you know is a is a smaller, more nimble insurance company. You know they obviously had you know a clear market of what they were doing, but they wanted to do something a bit different. And they knew if they went and followed the same path as everybody else, how would they ever dif- differentiate themselves from from the other insurers in that space? So if if you want to do something different, you have to. Do something different. You had to have a different technology plan, to have a different um, approach to how to operate and, and to move forward. And so that's what they kind of you know, tasked me with as well. You know, Carrera had been through a number of M and A activities as well. So and yeah, there's some of the technology needed to to match up to that. It was still probably a little bit um, siloed and multiple different platforms and such like. So definitely a challenge to, to consolidate and to get into a clearer view and a more simplistic way of operating. So, so when they approached you, what was the? Let's start with what the remit was. Like, what were, what was the what was their sell, and uh, and and then what did it turn out to be? Like, what what was the what was the kind of big ticket stuff that they wanted to, to achieve? The sell was that we wanted to do something different, and there yeah, that we've got we've got funding to do something different. We've got business model that, that to take it forward into the right direction, and we just need someone to come in here you know, and to. To, to take that view, to take that business view, and, and create a you know a technology strategy and technology roadmap to enable that solution to move forward, it was quite open really as to what needed to be done either from a technology standpoint, but yeah, but clear from a strategy and what needed to happen and what we need you know, and the dates and the implementation that needs to do. So in essence, I mean, a lot of what we did was you know, it was consolidation of platforms, um, you know, remove duplication, come up with standing operating models, you know, sort out IT. I mean, I was um. Pushing that we you know, we we brought together the whole function and, and created that Cavair Digital is our function, is our transformation function that you know that brought together you know, not just fixing printers but you know, actually developing new code and software and solutions and operating in a modern way. So we were really lucky to have the the remit to be able to use you know pretty cutting edge technology. We weren't just replicating something different, and we were using new new technology, new uh, ways of operating, new ways of creating software. Um, and so it gave us a real remit and a real buzz you know, around Halifax as you know, as our main development centre. You know, we mainly worked in house, so I mean, we did do some some offshore and nearshore stuff, but it was mainly all in house. So creating a new platform, we you know, we created a policy admin platform to support the affinity business. Yeah, that was you know, hyper personalized with the reduced question sets, utilizing in new data, um, using different methodologies. You quote and buy pieces down to aggregators, out to interfacing out. They work with different number of different partners. So it was uh, it was really interesting. It was nice to be able to create something new, something different. Um, I think we were targeted maybe as brave when we started, and then market leading um, by a few different of, um, of the big four at the end. So it was it was nice to showcase that what we were doing was interesting. But again, it was it was utilizing technology that wasn't necessarily cutting edge, but just hadn't really been used that much in insurance, but it had been used elsewhere you know, to great success with limited um, issues. So it's, yeah, it's just harnessing kind of microservices and the ability to you know, deconstruct monoliths and, and create something interesting and new. It was insurance is is ripe for that type of thing because it's, you know it changes so much, doesn't it? And there's so many different variations, and there's so many different types of insurance. Even within sim- simple markets, there's a massive variation, isn't there? So you need that kind of inherent flexibility. Yeah, you I mean I yeah I, t- I totally agree. 
You, you've obviously left the, the, the role at Cavea more recently, uh, and I know you're doing some kind of part-time work in consulting and stuff like that at the moment. So what, what's the plan moving forward? Have you, uh, you had enough of insurance now and you're desperate to get, get out, or you, uh, is there, uh, have you got the bug and you, uh, you've still got more to do? What, what do you, what, what's the plan? Yeah, I think there's definitely maybe some some unfinished business um, with insurance. I yeah, I really enjoyed my time um, working, and I feel that we yeah we made a huge amount of progress, a uh, huge amount of impact, and there's more there's more impact that could be made. And I think the more I know, and the more I've seen, the more it it, it, it excites me, and which I think people find quite strange. I think insurance is quite exciting. I think the, the technology landscape is. It, it's it's just there. It's, it's the possibility is is endless. I think when you look at you know at any type of insurance, you know, there's so there's such variation, isn't there? It's such a it's such a capsule term. I think you know, look at the Lloyd's market and think how much has it really changed in what 150 years and you know the, the transformation that's mainly been done there was due to COVID. Um, the, the potential there is is huge to slowly evolve that market. That's such a different one to say, you know, the personal lines market for motor, which is you know cutthroat based on data, high speed, high volume, uh, lots of you know different modeling pricing information it's it's such a very it's such a different such a different um category so i think there yeah, loads to loads to go at loads of data sharing loads of information um and and so many lessons learned still i think from other industries so at the moment i've got quite a lot of um in input and i'm seeing quite a lot of I've got a bit exposure to other financial services companies projects that they're running benefits that they're driving from it and i can just see so many ways that insurance could also utilize those thoughts and ideas and i think when you're kind of in that day-to-day running big transformation you don't have enough time or it doesn't have headspace to be able to look out and look at what other people are doing it's it's hard enough just to stay within your own area your own industry so having that ability to to market scan is at the moment is is a real pleasure um and it's it's firing me up with all sorts of different ideas and thoughts and <laughs> ways of operating that you know that we're, that we're keen to implement again in the future yeah, you I mean I, I, it's interesting what you said about the start uh, or earlier on that uh, about how insurance kind of led the way in some areas in technology. So it, it's always uh, I mem- remember when I first started working in the sector, kind of ten ten years or so ago. It, it always blew my mind really how insurance is ultimately an industry that is built on how you use data about uh, a, 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 a person or an event or something to to assess risk. Yet the the way the data is stored and and uh, and used is I mean archaic in a, in a, in a lot of a lot of businesses still still to this day. Even some of the stuff you hear in my line of work is 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 crazy really. So I mean the the, the leaps that, that could be made if uh, if you can get that right is is has to be astronomical. Like you you'll understand it way better than I will. But just to, just from a a kind of uh, fairly untechnical eye, it has to be uh, has to be some huge potential there for people that get it right. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, data's. I mean, it's been long um, spoken about as the yeah, as, as the new gold, isn't it? But um, or the new oil. It, it. I mean, it just is. It, it's it's phenomenal, and, and insurance companies have so much data, and are in general so poor at sharing that information as well. I mean, I think of something like Bordereau as an example. The amount of work um, and the amount of policies and the amount of money that's transacted through something that is that is 
archaic at best that's Excel basically is 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 mind bending and the opportunity to to share that for the benefit of everybody. It's it's not a competitive advantage, I don't think. It's just you know for, you know, for brokers, for for insurers, for underwriters, for, for all and for customers. There's, there's there's advantage on all sides. So I think there's a load of things which are just the industry can move itself forward with, which would be beneficial. The, you know, the way data's changing. You know, we did a number of different projects around it, but there's, there's a lot of data projects, you know, with data mesh or or lake house projects where you can extract data from systems that you've never been able to extract data from before and report on it in a you know in a very clean and, and simplistic way to summarize information is it's vast and i think that there's just the more you look at it the more capability that's there and the more data sources you can pull in the more information you've got there's the, the, endless really the possibilities then if you look at what you can do if you can share that information you know again if you look at open banking i mean you can have you can have your application sat there your banking app with you know, with, with natwest and you can then look at your barclays bank account on your natwest application because they're sharing data and if you can share that sort of data with that level of of um i guess potential issues then surely it can't be that long until you can have an app that tells you you've got this policy with this company and this policy with other company and see one view of it. And if you can do it with your with, with your data, with your financial information, I'm pretty sure you must be able to do it with with insurance policies. And again, that's a fairly small change really, but from a consumer perspective, it would be it'd be massive, wouldn't it? And I think it would it would change how people perceive the industry because I think it's now yeah, the, the amount of column inches written at the moment about insurance, the negativity um, around the costs at the moment, and what you get, and how you know insurance companies are profiteering, even though it's pretty clear to see most of them are not profiteering. If you look at their results, you know it's 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 such a been painted in such a negative light at the moment. We really need to do things to get the image of the uh, of the industry changed, but put consumers back in in charge, and you know and actually drive forward with some interesting enhancements that makes insurance you know, less less of a grudge and more so that you're you're happy to have because you feel you get value for it i think that's a big big driver for me yeah you mean there's you mean again you can you can only really comment on the personal lines from from an individual perspective but certainly the user friendliness of insurance it needs to be drastically be improved isn't it like i mean i, I just liken it to every time i go on holiday to remember whether or not i've actually still got travel insurance or not and trying to it's normally just a trudging through my emails to see if i've stored it properly like you say if you had kind of just apps and stuff like that that could just make all that so much easier and just it and and when you do need to make a claim it's like kind of digging stuff out it's just it, there's there's nothing enjoyable about it not that it, it makes it it makes a painful c- c- circumstance even more painful in, in a lot of cases so yeah there's definitely i mean it, it, it's it's actually mind-blowing how, how how much improvement there could be with some really basic stuff which other industries do really well um well yeah, it was a great it was a great example when i was working in, in international relocation because we were moving people and you know, we had an app that you could go into a into a room and it would scan all the items in the room and and uh, yeah it would estimate size for packaging so you knew how many containers you'd need to move someone from you know london to to bangkok that's not that far from a insurance, a home insurance internal. I'll scan my room. Yes, you've got that TV. Yes, you've got that desk. I mean, how about you? When people say, how, what, what's in your house? Oh, I don't 
don't know what's in my house. Trying to what level of insurance price. do you need? Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, my my uh, mother-in-law is in insurance. I think she. I don't know exactly what she does, but something to have broken. Um, and and it, it wasn't until I spoke to her. And I mean, bear in mind, I kind of semi-work in the industry, so I do have a kind of <laughs> slight slight idea about it. How I was kind of massively overinsured for my content, but my my attitude had always been that I would uh, I would kind of overestimate what I had just in case, obviously, the the, the worst ever happened. But try, try like you mean, how much is your wardrobe worth and the clothes in it and stuff like that? It's like you mean, it's 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 such a kind of finger in the air job, really, isn't it? So. Um, that, that, that kind of brings me on quite nicely, actually, to the, the, the next kind of section of, of what I like to talk about in this podcast, which is kind of where you see the evolution of the, the sector going and where you see the kind of big ticket things now. I mean, we've spoken about a few of them already, but you, you're in this kind of uh, unique position where you've obviously been in a role probably quite intense for a few years. Now you've kind of taken a step back. Uh, I know you're still working a bit, but it, it's probably given you some time to to kind of reflect a bit on that. I mean, what, and do some thinking about it. I mean, where, where, where do you see the the, the the kind of big challenges and, and the next kind of big things that are going to happen in the space? Like, what, what, what do you, what do you, how do you see that evolving over the next couple of years or so? It, the data is obviously the key to, to, to a lot of, a lot of these things and then a lot of insurance changes. They require data, they require access to data, consistent data. And then I think that sharing of that data was, will, will, will start to be, how, how you can sort of move that forward. So, you know, for example, if you've, let's take the same example, if you know what your household contents is, surely if you change your policy, should you should share that information. You can share that information. You go from you know, one, one provider to another provider. If you've logged that information, then you could share that. From a consumer standpoint, how how brilliant would that be to feel that you weren't trapped? You weren't being trapped at, with, a, with a policy. So I think that portability of information which again for the insurer is great because you've got the information, but it's also the claim information. It's also information you provided, the history. You, know, you, you don't have to just package the, you know, the, the the items themselves. You can package all the information about that customer. You know, there's so many guidelines from the FCA with consumer duty. And so it's like, you know, why, why, why not share that information? Make it, make it a portable solution. I think that would be that'd be a huge huge step forward for winning sort of hearts and minds of of a, of a consumer but also to make an interoperability between companies be much more you know just much a much better experience for people uh, that's that would be a key and uh, you know i've long held the belief that i should have insurance that matches my needs so as you said if i go to the airport i don't need travel insurance or i'm not at the airport or not on going on a ferry i don't need it i only need it when i'm traveling but you know where I am. I mean, Google knows where I am. <laughs> Apple know where I am. So I'm pretty sure I can find that out and my insurance could start for that. You know, I have insurance the whole time for travel in case I've booked a holiday. I need obviously in, in, insurance for that. But it, it changes to right, now I need dangerous sports <laughs> included or, or whatever it might be. But my car is only parked in the airport. I don't, I'm not going to drive it. So why am I going to pay for it to be insured fully comp for, for, for two weeks? So I not have it as third party fire and theft because unless it's at Luton Airport, I suppose, which is uh, um, definitely need fire um, insurance. But uh, yeah, I think that that kind of personalization of insurance would be would be really good. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with one insurance company. That, that to me is where you, you, you've got the ability, if you've shared that information, then you could have different policies with different people but if it's if you've got the control of it yeah you might have it all with one but I think that's been 
uh, a bit of a problem before where people think that everything has to be with one company. Well, that's that's not how people like to operate, is it? They want the best deal for different things. So being involved in that, sharing information with each other, I believe you, you could get a better market share. You could ensure the things you really want to ensure and not ensure the things you don't want to ensure. Everybody's got different segments in the market that they want to play in, that they feel better. They can price those risks in a better way. So, so why not? Why not play in that way? There's definitely more more in that landscape um, that would be interesting. That that fluidity thing is massive, isn't it? Like the uh, like because there there is a, I mean I don't know the actual names in the third. There's definitely some insurtechs out there that have kind of ventured into that market, especially around yeah. motor and being able to insure kind of cars yeah, when you're miles doing, and things yeah, yeah and stuff like that but you you are right you mean it, it, it's it's uh i mean it's it kind of came into effect in covid didn't it like everybody was paying f- full whack for their car insurance and not and not really going anywhere um they were pay also paying top top whack for their their home insurance and and obviously the chances of your house being burgled in the middle of the day when everybody's at home was 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 drastically lower and, and so on a million and one different other examples like that so that that um I guess the problem with that is is that it, it requires lots of, of the big insurers to get together and work together to make that work and and who who, who kind of jumps first, you know what I mean? Like that that's the the, the, the kind of age old problem, isn't it? Again, making sure there's some collaboration is is uh, and how, how have you actually that this be an interesting question. How, how how did you find that when you were working in the sector? Did Cavea kind of work with many other insurers? Did you find that there was a willingness to do that or is that is that a major blocker? Um, I think it is. I think it is a bit of a blocker. Um, I think we were we were working on the open insurance initiative, and you know, our, our systems were architected to that. And my head of architecture, and, you know, Neil Walker, was was driving a lot of the um, writing, a lot of the uh, content. But a lot of the insurance companies that were quite small in it. There was there was a, there was a few bigger ones that were involved, but it was more insurtechs or mid-sized insurers rather than the really big players. But then I think you know. Uh, open banking is another, another great example of where it took a while to get to get involved with that. But if, if you, if you, as an insurer, if you took the open banking data, for example, if a bank was offering insurance and they use that open banking data, suddenly your insurance products proliferate and you've got massive upsell capabilities. I, I think if, if 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 it doesn't take a huge number of people to start to showcase the value, and then I think you you'll get some people on board. But I think insurance companies have to see the value of doing it. It's it's great to be a, a a lovely consumer experience, but if you can't make money out of it, or you've got to invest money into it, that's a problem. But I do think a lot of the barrier to entry is just the diversification of systems. Um, it's not that they don't want to do things, but you know, as a as a large you know general insurer in the UK, for example, you might have four policy admin platforms. Was pretty difficult, and <laughs> if you can't if you can't collect that information internally that well, you certainly aren't going to want to share it, are you? So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of sort of chicken and egg in some in some instances. But I do believe with the the proliferation of um, data systems now, the, you know, the the complexity of data platforms that can extract from legacy systems and enable you to lift that data up, it, it's starting to become uh, the barrier of entry is a lot lower than it was. And I think those are the sort of things that will make a difference is that you know, if, you, if it was easier and there's money to be made in it in the nicest possible way, then there's uh, yeah, there's probably a lot more appetite to do something different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, uh, the, the the open banking thing definitely resonates because I think certainly in the last four or five years that that the customer experience around banking has, has drastically improved, isn't it? Even as the basic things of being able to, to pay your 
credit card bills through through an app through the app that connects to the other app and and and, and it just all works kind of seamlessly it's turned what was a quite painful experience into into something that's actually really easy to do and you can kind of do on your walk to work type thing rather than uh rather than being uh, re- really in debt type of action that you have to take every day um so look, i'm really interested to hear what you're going to say about this as well because uh look, look, I, I i always like to get into a little i mean look, a lot of the people that listen to the podcast are people who are aspiring to be cios or ctos or or, or similar to positions like that they may also be kind of starting out on their journey your, your background has been massively varied until you got to this point which undoubtedly has as as provided you with loads of different experiences that I'm I'm sure have been useful coming into the financial services space. So you mean two two halves of this question. You mean I always like to know the advice people have been given um when they were walking through that, but but also the advice that they would now give. Like you mean what 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 is your bet what what the if there were kind of two or three big pieces of advice you'd give people who are on the upward curve now, what what would they be? Oh, they tie together because I think it's, it's it's what helped me, um, yeah. probably unsurprisingly. But I, I think you know, being yourself is, is hugely important. Um, being authentic, again, is really important. And knowing that you can change yourself if there's something you don't like about yourself, have the confidence to be the thing I don't like. I don't like if I react to this certain situation or this makes me feel this way. I can change that. I think <laughs> empowering yourself to understand that is 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 very difficult. But if you can do it, it unlocks it unlocks so many different avenues for you, um, and enables you then to to mentor other people and coach people because you can truly help them because you can reflect back on what you've done and say I didn't used to be very good at this or or or, or like because I think that's to, to me that that always makes a lot of sense. People say I I I was vulnerable at this point and I did this and it changed it. It's just so much more authentic, so real, and then you can you can get on with what you need to do rather than trying to be something that you're not or not being confident in certain situations or, or whatever it might be. So really understanding yourself and truly understanding yourself, not just your desires or or where you want to move or you know your career aspirations. I mean, almost forget that. Who are you and are you comfortable in your own skin? And the sooner you can get to that level, I believe, is a, is a, is a huge way forward. And I would say that to anyone, if, if you know who you are, then you can achieve. But if you if you're trying to hide things, it's from yourself. It's never it's going to come across to everyone you speak to. You're not going to be confident, and it's going to really eat away at you. Yeah, you mean I, I totally. I think that's. I think it's a great piece of advice. You mean what? What about stuff that people said to you throughout your career? Is there anything? Any? Are there any people that that particularly stand out? You don't necessarily have to mention them, but any any. Um, any bits of advice that you were given? Because I, I, I know we keep coming back to the variety in your career, but that, 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 I guess there has to be something in that, that like that variety has obviously powered you in really good, good stead to, to go on and do other roles. And it, it certainly seems like you've got that kind of inquisitive nature about looking at different things. Is, is that something, did you kind of actively do that? Did people advise you to do it? I mean, it certainly seems to be a piece of advice people give often anyway. I was lucky, you know, I worked for a big corporation. I was lucky to get put on all sorts of kind of leadership enhancement classes and, you know, the top 0.5%, all these kind of good things. And we did coaching and mentoring and all the kind of good stuff. But it was very, it was brilliant. I don't want it to come across in a negative way, but it was very commercial, very corporate. It was this, there was one size and that's what you had to do. And you had to get into this shape and you had to approach things in your own way. And yeah, we looked at brand and different bits, but it was, it was quite specific. And working for a big American corporation, you can probably imagine what that specific edge was like. Um, 
but I was very lucky then to work for someone new came into our business as a as a you know as a as a senior director. I was working for for him, and he he'd done um, NLP. He was an NLP practitioner, neuro linguistic programming, and I was just like, wow, <laughs> that sounds like a bit. That's a bit left field. Um, and we were running some big change programs at the, at the time. Um, it was just after we'd done sort of the field workforce management stuff. And he was like, you you, you, under, you need to understand people better, what's really motivating them, not this corporate stuff, but really get into it. I was a bit like, wow, this sounds a bit mystical to me. <laughs> and eventually I was like, oh, actually, maybe it's working. And he, he, he gave me the opportunity to go to um, to do a practitioner course. And I went to California for two weeks into, um, into the Redwoods by 50 people on the course and I was the only person that was corporate that was um I wasn't paying for it myself and there's people have been saving up for like 10 years to come on this course and I felt ridiculously guilty that I wasn't even sure if I wanted to be here if I'm, if I'm gonna be completely honest and it was like gosh I mean it was life-changing it really was it put it put things into a completely different perspective for me I saw things in a completely different light and it just helped me understand myself better people better it was yeah, it was really fascinating, and I think you know it's it's just a different way, a different way of, of looking at things. I think that to me is important is getting that 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 different perspective and look at how people perceive you rather than how you're perceiving yourself, and that's a, that's a pretty powerful message. I didn't know you were going to say that, obviously, but uh, uh, what, t- tell, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, what what was life changing about? What specifically? What because you I mean I, I've I've heard of NLP. I certainly won't profess to know much about it. It's more. It's, it's just about how do uh, how do people come across? So you, you how how do you sort of like read people? How, what what are they actually saying? So are they you know, are they <laughs> when they say oh I'm not comfortable to do this? Are they I'm not comfortable to do it because I don't feel comfortable? I'm not comfortable with you. This doesn't make me feel good. You know, it's, it's about it's about how how you perceive people, getting a better view of are they saying something because they're they're not happy or are they are happy or they're they're telling you what you want to hear or just trying to read people and then also really putting yourself in their shoes i think when you're seeing a conversation from the other side you do like strange things like standing on a chair looking down on yourself which it makes you feel super super stupid um <laughs> and really outside your comfort zone but it, that whole perspective change and you're like wow that's what i said is coming across in a different way than i intended it to but because I've spent the time to actually think about it from the other person's perspective, I'm now going to change how I say that because I, I want it to come across how I want it, how I intend it to. So what's the intention versus what, what's the perception? Some real strange things like that. And then you're like, oh, okay, I, I, I need to I need to take more time with this person because they, they need longer to digest it or they, they need to hear more about it. They need more confidence build up in them before you move to something different. So... Yeah, it's about it's human interaction, human relationships, and and giving people time and space, and and I I guess yeah, giving them the time. And it's quite easy as a leader to not give people enough time because you've got too much to do. But the benefits you gain of by giving people time is 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 is, is huge. Yeah, I mean, I I, t- I totally get that. I mean, I, I often have the similar conversation. My wife, my wife's one of these kind of people that wants to. Th- you explain something to her, she wants to think about it and kind of process and stuff like that. And I'm just kind of like, let's go, right? Why 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 do why do why what of this don't you understand? How how can you be? How can you not get this? <laughs> and yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I think it's really interesting. I mean, uh, for me, the, 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 key, the, the key takeaway there 
for me is is that all the things that you've spoken about advice-wise there are, are stuff about people, not not really about uh, technology as a, like that. That The technology is the constant. It's kind of is what it is, right? But the, the people stuff and how you lead and how you build those relationships are, are, seem, seem to be really key. So it certainly seems to be where you've kind of, evolve and yeah it's, it seems to be quite common as well people people like, like that that seems to be the the difference um certainly that and the, how, how did you find the the transition because that's a bit that i was thinking about then is that you've gone from three in in three industries that are very different from each other how did you find specifically going into insurance because in the role that you were in I, i'd imagine getting your head around the technology was was probably one part but but explaining to a insurance board of directors that that are probably very used to doing something one way and and may have spoken a great game about what they really want to do how did you kind of trend how did you find translating that especially when you didn't really know the industry that well yeah so that that was probably the most challenging part i had to make some really big calls very early on and i had to explain that i don't really understand (laughs) the business rationale behind this but I can tell you from a technology standpoint, if we go down this route, these are the things that are going to happen and you need to help me understand whether that's acceptable, that's not acceptable. So these are the risks we're going to be layering on. Please help me understand how that's going to impact our business because I can explain it from a technology standpoint, but I can't yet fully explain it from a business and insurance standpoint. I'm learning, but I've not, I've not got enough information yet. So I think being open about it you know, and, and getting them to help me by you know, by us collaborating with each other was probably probably what helped us move forward more quickly. It was like, oh, you understand this bit, I understand this bit. If together we you know, we, we, we collaborate, then guess what? We're probably going to get to the right decision much quicker. But I did spend a lot of time, an inordinate amount of time with the CRO, <laughs> with, with the CFO, with the claims teams, understanding what actually I would let myself in for. So a, a lot of learning um, of what insurance really meant, I think, went on. <laughs> I can imagine that. I can imagine that's quite an empowering experience, though, because actually a, a lot of people who would have been in insurance for quite a while will go to go to a board and say, right, this is what we're going to do because this is what the tech, the problem with the tech for you, and this is how it's going to affect your business. I can imagine people on the other side of the table getting their back put up a little bit there that they're being told everything whereas you're going to that scenario with with the these are the tech problems but I need your help and therefore you're bringing them on the journey like even though necessarily that wouldn't be what you'd necessarily want to do you'd probably want to understand it perfectly but but by default you've you've ended up kind of bringing them on a journey with you which uh which, which probably made it a more harmonious relationship, I would, I, I would imagine. Probably something that doesn't happen too often. There certainly aren't too many CIOs that come completely cold from no financial services or no insurance experience into that that kind of level of role. It's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Well, you mean, we're coming to the end of the podcast now, Graham. Uh, I could talk to you for, for, for absolutely hours about this stuff. Um, I always kind of finish the podcast with a bit of a fun, uh, quick fire round and, and, and kind of a couple of uh, key questions that I always ask. So the first one is, um, what do you love about the insurance and, and insurtech space? And we've probably covered that a little bit, but, but in a nutshell, what is it you, you really like about the space now? 
I think it's it's, it's the opportunity. Uh, it's so big; it's it's almost too um, big to categorise. So I think technology is at the heart of insurance, and it's always going to be the case. It'll change. You know, it's Gen AI, AI today. I mean, who knows what it'll be tomorrow? It, it's, it's everything, and I think that that's why I love. I think there's some great insure techs. There's some not great insure techs, but that blend together with the big players. I just think it, it's such an interesting ecosystem that, 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 that that's why it kind of gets me out of bed, and that's why it's interesting. Great. And the next one is, what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? The fact that I'm working in some, some different areas, I've got some time to think about what's going on. I feel like I'm in a pr- privileged position to have such a having such a detailed knowledge for a, for a few years, and now been able to go out and I'm speaking to a lot of insurance companies, but with a, in it from a different standpoint. I'm speaking to lots of FS companies from a different standpoint, hearing their problems, coming up with solutions, and I just think I'm in in a in, a, in, a, in an amazing position where I can utilize my knowledge. But again, I'm sort of crossing boundaries a little bit, which I always kind of quite enjoy. So yeah, I feel like I'm in a, an interesting role at the moment. Um, and it's it's it's, it's challenging in a, in a different way, but I can utilize what I've got. So yeah, lots going on. Great. Um, and then some quick fire questions. So what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without and why? <laughs> it depends. Music, music of some description. Nice. So whether it's a solid system at home, it's always on. Whether it's my phone and my um, iPod, you know, earpods, whatever. I yeah, all the time. But if I without that, I'd be a very sad person. <laughs> so there's always something going on. Nice. Which brand or company do you really admire and why? I remember going deep in love with Porsche um, and their cars. Um, I'm a massive petrol head, um, but. They're just their design. It, it, it's timeless. How they can be, they can make a car a 911 for more than 60 years. It changes each time. It looks like a tiny change. It's a massive design change, and yet it's still the same car. Basically, 60 years later, Who, who's designed a car that well that it can continue for that long? It's fundamentally flawed because the engine's over the back, so the weight distribution is awful. Yet it handles as one of the best cars in the world. It, it just the engineering feat is is fantastic. When they tried to, you know, obviously the carbon footprint is is horrendous. So when you know when when electric electrification came in. They made a car. The first electric car they made is the you know, probably the outsta- most outstanding electric car. It's the best electric car you can buy. It showcases that electric cars can be fun and and, and they still be exciting. And yet, it's the first one they've ever made. I, the engineering, the innovation, I just think is 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 amazing. I think their um, customer service could probably be a bit better, but their cars, <laughs> their engineering is in, is amazing. Yeah, nice. Uh, I think uh, yeah that my uh, my I always remember when my mum bought a, a 911. She was uh, probably as in love with it as what yeah uh, is what you are. It's uh, yeah they're they're impressive vehicles though. True. Favorite business related book. It's a bit cliche, actually. Um, I read lots of interesting books. Well, um, yeah, Leaders Eat Last. So I've read another of Simon's books previously, but this one, I I, I, I really um, enjoyed it. I think the, the, the again, you're probably, this is a bit of a theme, isn't it, really? The fact that we're fighting against the, you know, the, the chemicals within our systems to um, operate in a different way. Um, I just, I find it, it it's amazing, you know, the, the neurochemicals and the, the impact they have on our functionality and, I think it's thought-provoking around the way we can challenge um, the way we, we treat our teams um, and the benefits of obviously having a positive work culture. But the, yeah, the way he comes at it, I think, is amazing. So I've been really enjoying that. Definitely. Oh, that's what I've heard of it. I definitely uh, should check it out. Favourite film or TV series? You can, you can definitely have one of each if you want. <laughs> so I'm going to go for a broader scope. Um, go for it. 
so Star Wars, um, I'm absolutely loving Star Wars. Uh, my daughter's 10 and she's properly into it now. So I'm having a massive resurgence. Um, so for TV series as well, because obviously there's, you know, if it's not as, it could be The Mandalorian with Baby yeah. Yoda or Grogu, should I say, um, or Boba Fett, or uh, there's just so much going on. We're really loving watching it together. I'm going to share some special time. And we, we were lucky to go to, to California in the... Um, in the summer and went to Disneyland and just in the seventh heaven sat in the Millennium Falcon and stuff. It was, it was just, yeah, it's an other moment. We were really enjoying Star Wars and all its um, different pieces. I mean, wow. How can you make a film and it, it'd be like a, a religion. It's, it's impressive. It is mad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest uh, Star Wars fan, but I've got some mates that are massive into it. I think that, that concept of when you can start doing stuff like that with your kids is uh you mean i've never watched uh, a harry potter film and i purposely haven't read or or watched it now because i just think when my kids are a bit older i can do it for the first time with them so uh yeah it's uh it's uh it's, it's quite a cool thing to be able to do with your with your kids if they get into it definitely yeah, it's definitely fun so and if you weren't i think i know where this is going to go but if you weren't a technology leader what would you what would you be I'm predicting some kind of engineer or, or formula one driver. Race, sorry, race car driver. Yeah. That's exactly what I think. Um, I try my best. I'm not sure I'm actually gifted with that much skill, but it doesn't stop me trying. So, yes, I'd love to be out on track um, driving cars for a living or, or, or modifying them and driving them. That, that would be um, that would be my bag. But, yeah, <laughs> just amazing technology. It's, all, it's probably it's so close. It probably is, it's not actually that different. Is it? Yeah, you mean maybe, maybe yeah, you mean, I guess, have you, did you, have you ever thought about going and working like would you like cio or uh mclaren or something like that are they looking i don't know like maybe that, there's a there's a yeah yeah so and then the last one who is your number one role model person you admire so tricky one this is I mean, there's so many different people that i've looked at that do done amazing things um and had an economic influence that i've looked up to but i think you reflected about probably my dad he's got some um some foibles um and some different ways of operating like i can't pretend anyway but but it, it, he's got a drive and a tenacity right, which I've, i think i've inherited what i have inherited i don't think i definitely have i mean he, he told me when you know he was doing his 11 plus he counted um the, the snowflakes coming down because he didn't want to do well in his exams he didn't want to go to a different school and then he obviously failed the exam went yeah, and left school and did an apprenticeship and then at 17 thought I've done I've done completely the wrong thing and then went to night school whilst holding down a full-time job for eight years to get an engineering qualifications and 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 to, to better himself you know, and he definitely showcased to me that you know, don't don't do that use your opportunities and you know we strove to do things better for us and you know, there a lot of sacrifices to, to put his family first and you know, you've, you've got to kind of be um yeah, I was thankful for that. I mean, I, I can't pretend that maybe I. It, it took me a little bit longer than, than it maybe it should to realise that I needed to pull my finger out. But yeah, I did. I did it at the right time still. So yeah, I don't think you'll be the first person to uh, to to do that. I'm certainly in that camp as well. Well, look, uh, Graham, I've I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you so much for uh, for your time. And off the back of this, I'm sure there'll be some people who want to reach out. There may there may it may be the uh, talent acquisition team at, uh, at, at, at Formula One, Matt McLaren, or something like that. But but in all seriousness, if people do want to reach out and connect, are you, are you happy for them to do so? And is is LinkedIn the best way to, to get hold of you if the, if you do? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Yeah, amazing. Great. Well, look, thank you very much for again for for taking the time to speak to us. I've I've really enjoyed it. And thank you, Mark. Thank you, everyone. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to catching up with you again next time.